77 and 85. That's the final Mets record after all the rats, raccoons, and thumbs pointing either up or down. Sorry to say that I called this one three weeks ago. I hate it when I'm right, as does my wife, which, by the way, is rare. But after that 35 and 25 start, it just smelled like 77 and 85, right? 77, also the Mets' final number of wins in 2018 and 2011. The good news is, right after both those seasons, they got a little bit better. You guys feel like marching in the army of optimism on a Monday morning, right after the Yankees made the playoffs? Fall in. Let's go. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Scoodly down. Many, many years ago, a rando band called Steelers Wheel came out with the song Stuck in the Middle with You. And it begins, well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I've got the feeling that something ain't right. Now, that's a nice little song, theme-wise, for a lifelong Mets fan. But then it weirdly goes to, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. All right, that's just five guys tripping on acid right there. If you're that scared, you're going to fall off your chair, go lie down or something. Anyway, since three division format stuff began back in 1994, that means the Mets have finished either 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 28 times. 28 chances to finish at the top, at the bottom, or somewhere in the middle of the NL East. We're going to explore the math as it relates to the Mets off the top here today, but I will give away the end result. Stuck in the middle with you is pretty much exactly right. Oh, I haven't mentioned yet. I'm Josh Lewin. Uh, Welcome to the final set of games to be summarized and reviewed here in 2021. We will get to that. Uh, A reminder, we have a season review set for tomorrow. And then every week, Monday-ish, between now and the first spring training games, we will adopt a weekly model here at the Mets in the Morning Enclave. Uh, Looking forward to keeping in touch now that we've made this connection. And by the way, I am horrible at letting you guys know how to do that. Please feel free to reach out with questions, comments, concerns, requests, cryptocurrency recommendations, conspiracy theories, whether or not I can save on my student loan. Uh, I'm at Twitter at Josh Lewin Stuff, and I hope we do indeed have a little back and forth these next several months because we won't see or hear or talk about a Mets player hitting a baseball until the end of February. All right, before we summarize losing two of three in Atlanta this weekend, Let's get back to the exhaustive research about where the Mets usually end up in a five-team division. And it's been the same neighbors as always. If you started following baseball in, say, the mid-90s, always the Braves, always the Marlins, the Phillies, always the Nationals slash Expos. They had that weird identity crisis when they first moved into the neighborhood. They used to think they were Canadian. But same neighbors on our block for each of the last 28 years, meaning we've all gotten to know each other pretty well. Let me take you through where in the division the Mets have finished since this neighborhood was rezoned back in 1994. One through five in the standings, the Mets have checked in as follows. If you go uh, till the year 2000, three, two, four, three, two, two, two. And that two worked out fine because they ended up in a a World Series. Then, uh, finishing with winning the division actually in 06, they went three, five, five, four, three, one. Yeah, finally snuck a one in there. Then, uh, between 07 and 13, kind of a lost cause era, 2-2-4-4-4-4-3. Then we get to the good stuff, 14, 15, and 16 with Terry Collins at the helm. 
There was a 212. I know some of you enjoy that area code. Then off of that, this is where we've been living lately, 44343. And if you add that all up, you're talking about two lasts, two firsts, 24 times somewhere in between. Seven thirds, eight seconds, and nine fourths. So let's put that in perspective here. Again, only two top ends, two bottom ends. Every other year, you're somewhere betwixt in between. Philadelphia, five first place, and they were all in a row. They went to two World Series, winning one of them, but also five last place finishes. So 18 middle finishes, as opposed to the Mets' 24 middle finishes. Washington slash Montreal, just like Philly, five firsts and one World Series win. They had 10 lasts, so only 13 stuck in the middles, as opposed to the Mets' 24. Then we get to the gold standard, we get to Atlanta. 16 first place finishes, only one last. And that leaves not a lot in the middle. I I think that's the team you want to be right there, right? Miami is the interesting one. Zero first place finishes, zero. But two World Series wins, as wild cards, obviously. So quick aside about that. The Marlins, never a division winner. More championships in Atlanta. Quirkiest stat in all of baseball that seldom gets mentioned. The Marlins, zero firsts, eight lasts, 20 times in the middle. Still not as many as the Mets, 24 in the middle. So let's reset. You do want to be Atlanta in this neighborhood. You don't want to be Miami in this neighborhood, even though you got a couple of parades. So that means even in the macro sense, here are the Mets right in the middle again. Average finish, third place. Average record in this time, 80 and 82. Proving once again, you can't spell mediocrity without, no, wait a minute. Yes, you can. Okay. You can't spell mediocre team without M-E-T-S there. In fact, an anagram for mediocre team is over-medicate, which I'm certainly not suggesting, but I, I do understand. So how the Mets got stuck in the middle yet again in third place this year, that's something we're going to get into in greater detail tomorrow. But spoiler alert, The Mets used a franchise record 64 players to try to overcome this ocean liner's worth of injuries. There were a handful of guys who did perform well, the likes of Marcus Stroman, Pete Alonso, Aaron Loop, Brandon Nimmo. Even that wasn't enough to save the season. The Mets ending up as just the third team in history to be in first place after 110 games and finish the season under 500. From what we're gathering here, this is from our friends at Elias, The 1973 Pirates did it. They were in first place after 150 games, finished at 80 and 82. That's the year the Mets won the division despite being three games over 500. Then you had the collapsing 2018 Phillies. They were in first place after 118 games and went on the slippery slide and finished also 80 and 82. But this was 77 and 85. And the last act was dropping two out of three against the playoff bound Braves. Let's get to that. Friday... Tyler McGill's respectable rookie season got a proper send-off in his last start, five shutout innings, just one hit. The Mets, 4-3 winners in that one. Lindor, career base hit number 999. Nimmo, his fourth career two-home run game. And love the long ball from Brandon, but really his biggest attribute continues to be that he's an on-base machine. 408 OBP, career high. It's the third time in the last four seasons he's been above 400. And he told the media after that Friday game, there are some goals that I've set where I've done better. Hitting lefties and being a little more consistent, I've been a little better at that, he says. I've also wanted to stay good at what I'm good at, being able to get on base, drive the ball. Those are the things uh, reflected in my OPS. 
So trying to just improve myself, but keep the things I'm strong at. That's really sound advice for all of us, really. Know who you are, be the best version of that, but see if you can get a little better at your weaknesses too, while maintaining and developing your strengths. Boom, TED Talk. Where's my money? Also from Friday, Pete Alonso, three for four with an RBI double. And this year, the polar bear improved defensively. He struck out less often. He hit 37 homers, third in the National League. And Alonzo now opens his offseason with a charitable endeavor. He's taking an auction winner out for a two-day fishing trip right away to benefit his charity and the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. It is tough not to appreciate Pete Alonzo. Also of note from Friday, Kevin Pillar and the Atlanta reliever Jacob Webb faced each other for the first time since Webb hit Pillar in the face with that pitch back in May. And they tipped their caps to each other as Pillar stepped to the plate. And Kevin struck out swinging, seven pitch at bat, but some closure there for both players. And that was kind of cool. Let's go to Saturday. And this loss really could have been any of the 85 this season. You had a pitcher uh, not quite doing what you hoped he would. And the Mets didn't get their first hit until the fifth inning. Carlos Carrasco uh, didn't give up the runs in the first inning this time, but five runs allowed in five innings to lose the game. Lindor and Michael Conforto giving the Mets some late life. Eighth inning triple for Lindor. Two-run homer for Conforto, his first off a lefty all year. Yeah, but uh, the Mets lose the game 6-5. Lindor, base hit number 1,000. Congratulations there. And I want to stop down and and shout this out here, just however you feel about the first-year stumble of Lindor is a Met. And I happen to think what we saw in September is going to be much closer to the real thing than whatever that was our eyeballs were subjected to in April. Um, I want to throw out that even though... Lindor did not earn his money this year. There was a guy playing near him that really did. And that's Jonathan VR, who I think was the Mets' best free agent deal for a hitter last offseason. The $3.5 million they gave Jonathan VR. Very versatile, switch hitter. Now, when J.D. Davis got hurt, there he was just kind of plunking himself down at third base. Uh, if he had played every day, he'd have been a 2020 guy. And those are pretty rare. Mention J.D. Davis. He's going to have off-season surgery to repair, to repair a torn ligament in his left hand. He's flown on to Cincinnati, driving to Dayton. And uh, the renowned Dr. Thomas Graham, an orthopedist, is going to perform the surgery tomorrow. A requiem for J.D. if he doesn't come back to New York. He was a valuable guy. Uh, you know, really had only one healthy hand for most of the season. But he still had an 820 OPS. Uh, I liked having J.D. Davis around. As for Carrasco, who got shelled in this game, uh, 6.04 ERA. Ends up exactly double where Marcus Stroman is, because Marcus was 3.02. Carrasco is still a key piece of 2022's rotation. He's under contract for $12 million, which is a bargain if he performs like what he was in Cleveland. at a 3.7 career ERA when he joined the Mets. He's turning 35 this March, so we're going to see which way that all goes. All right, so 6-5 loss Saturday, just another one-run loss, another one-run game. Mets played 66 of those bad boys, losing 35 of them. Only one other team in baseball played as many as 57 one-run games this year. The Mets pretty much lapped the field. On to Sunday, kind of a classic, let's just get it over with vibe. Although for Noah Syndergaard, you wanted him to stick the landing in what was game number 162 for the team, but only game number two for Noah. And unfortunately, two runs allowed in his one-inning pitch in the bottom of the very first inning, uh, that included a home run. So he's going to have an ERA of 9 and not 0 for the year now. Looks crappy on a baseball card. The Mets lost this game so quickly 
that they were by a full two innings, the first game to finish on a day when all the teams started at 3 p.m. Eastern. Just three hits achieved, including one by the long-lost Jose Peraza, former Brave. Conforto had one as well to ensure his batting average stayed above 230 for the year. Robert Gazelman got into the game for a second straight day, coming back from a long bout on the IL, so that was nice to see. Trevor Williams went five of the nine innings, but mostly this was possibly the, the most forgettable game of the year. I'm not playing you any highlights. I mean, there's just nothing going on. Once it was over, there were some things left to say, and the besties said a few of them. Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez got on the Zoom call together, and Baez was asked the obvious question uh, off his killer two months as a Met, which is, what's next? Um, it, was, it was honestly... Um Really fun being being around this group, being around these guys. Um, you know, especially him. That you know, we we learn. Everybody learns from him, and, and you know, one wants to be like him. So um, yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, I'm I'm thankful for the year that I had, and you know, I, I that I that I could deal with the pressure of of being free agent and. and I had a good year, so I just I'm just gonna get some rest now with with my family and see what happens. These last couple of games, did you were you ha- have any physical thing or did why why didn't you play? No, I mean uh, not not really. Um, I was I was feeling good, you know, just just being smart with it and and you know obviously trying to finish strong. Thank you. Tony DeComo, your line's open. All right, guys, follow up, uh, Francisco, from your perspective, how much would you enjoy to have Javier back next year and, and how much will you maybe, um, you know, if you can give your recommendation to have that happen, how much will you try to do that? Anthony, I would love to have him back. Um, I said it earlier, he's a gamer, um, he's a winner, and he competes day in and day out. Uh, I had a lot, a lot of fun with him um, playing up the middle. Um, I learned of it um, from him. Uh, we fed up each other. We try to um, do whatever it takes to to bring some some wins and try to be in the playoffs. Um, we fell short from making it to the postseason. Um, hopefully he's back next year and helps us make it um, to the dance. And also for you, Francisco, how much have you reflected already? I know the season just ended. How much have you reflected already just on um, you know, why you guys fell short and what you need to do to make sure that doesn't happen next year? Um, uh, I just got to play better. Um, that's the number one thing, um, definitely. Um, but we dealt with a lot of adversity this year. Um, lots of up, up and downs um, this year. Um, I haven't really sat down and, and reflect on how the year went. Um, that's more for the offseason because um, I was, you know, focusing on the on the games day in and day out. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to sitting and thinking about how the season went. Um, think about all the things that need to get better, um, including myself. While I got to um, improve, and I honestly think I got to improve. I, I know I don't think. I know I got to improve in every aspect of the game for sure. Lindor ends his season almost in the top 100 players for OPS. He was down around 150-160 of 165 for most of the season. He ends up at 101, just ahead of the red shortstop Kyle Farmer and the Indian shortstop. You might remember him, Ahmed Rosario. Now, he ended up at a 731 OPS. Lindor needed the big kick to the finish line to get to 734. 
As for the manager, now who knows, maybe this is the last time we'll ever hear his voice as Met Skipper, and of course, th- that came up. Louie, now that it's officially over, what are, the, what are the emotions of having gone through this season? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, a, is, is uh, the disappointment of not achieving the goal uh, that we were talking uh, about from the offseason to spring training to uh, from the beginning and throughout the season, right? And um, and it's just just disappointing that we didn't we didn't get to where we wanted to, right? Um, so you know those those are the feelings that I'm kind of carrying right now. Uh, you know those feelings are mixed with you know the last day that we have as a group here, and uh, this year some guys are departing out of here to their homes, some guys are heading back to New York on the plane. So there, there's uh, the group breaking. Uh, you know, all the guys that we had this year, 62, 63 different guys, um, and, you know, to get to the 162nd game of the season. And uh, just looking back, just looking back at, at how everything went, you know, and uh, how could things gone better? Uh, but, you know, obviously there's nothing you can do. And, uh, you know, we're, we're at this point and uh, we just, just got to move forward and the guys got to work uh, and get some rest first, enjoy the family time and decompress a little bit and then, uh, get back into action and be ready for, for next year. When, when do you expect to have a conversation with Sandy about your situation? I have no idea. So, you know, whenever that happens, that'll happen. And, uh, you know, we should find out soon. Um, so, yeah, let, let's see. But I have no idea. Thank you. Tony, your line is open. Hey, Luis, along those lines, what are your plans personally just over the next week? You're going back with the team, you're going to the DR. Where where will you be? What will you be doing? Well, I mean, I don't specifically want to share those. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to gather my stuff, of course. I'm heading back to New York right now. In the next couple of days, just gather my stuff and, and, uh, and you know, just be ready to have beginning of, of an offseason with the family. Um, you know, and, and and do those things, and then things will start, you know, unfolding. I guess, right? So, uh, but in the next couple of days, I'll be I'll be in New York, just getting, just you know, things scattered, picked up, organized. Two years as Mets manager for Luis Rojas, both times finishing eight games under five hundred. So there you go, the last shovel of dirt thrown onto the twenty twenty one season. May it rest in peace. A season that started with so much promise and electricity ended with a Luis Guillorme strikeout in the Deep South while the NFL games were on. 77 and 85. And again, tomorrow is when we're going to break it all down for you. What happened, why it happened, and what's next. And then, once a week, between the playoffs and the first pitch of spring training, we have got you covered. Mets in the Morning Weekly Edition with, of course, the always ready, very sturdy, wickedly talented Mets in the Morning House Band. They work so hard for their money. Let's meet them one last time here in the regular season. On keyboards, pitcher Pete Smith. Yeah, why not? Slapping to base, outfielder Juan Lagaris. Still active with the Angels. The horn section, pitcher John Main. And on drums, kicking it up on that downbeat one last time, outfielder Elliot Maddox. This is Josh Lewin. I really do appreciate you guys being with us for this venture. We started it mid-July. We're going to continue it going forward now. 
thanks to all of your kind words. I think that's helped. And, and if you still want to leave us a, a nice review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever, Odyssey, uh, we always appreciate that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to throw a, a five-star review out in the garbage. So if you want to say something nice, uh, that would be lovely. If you don't, shut up. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> but... but Hopefully you will come back for more of this. And it has been, seriously, really nice to, to get re-engaged with the Met fan base. It is a hell of a fan base. 